0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Will robots really take over the world, or will we have to wait for a while for them to get their act together? Now, robots do a lot of great stuff, and they're great at complicated tasks where humans fail, but there are many things that they are not good at such as landing sometimes on Mars, or maybe even passing a university entrance exam. So we find out about what's being done to help improve robots' abilities to make them more like humans. Super intelligent machines with the ability to perceive and understand truth where humans struggle and get to solutions and outwit those humans that are struggling against it is a standard trope of science fiction, and it's a fear that lives in most people's lives. The automation and removal of jobs by the work being done by robots is touted as the coming doom for all humankind. But the reality of the situation is very, very different. As someone who works in the field of robotics, I understand firsthand the challenges of getting someone, something to be done by a robot, which seems very, very trivial, but is in reality very very complex when you break it down and certainly there are areas of the economy where robots are doing fantastic work in automating processes that were otherwise manual but sometimes humans are the best and cheapest and most effective or efficient solution to a problem but okay well let's take that away what's something that robots are good at answering questions facts finding a fact and getting it 100% right doesn't make any silly mistakes, doesn't make any errors where it forgets to carry the tool or have the right plus or minus sign in an exam. Surely, in this really narrowly defined area, robots are the best at it. Researchers from National Institute of Informatics in Japan have been trying to make a robot that is able to pass the most prestigious university entrance exam in japan the tokyo university or tokyo u entrance exam pretty much held up as the most difficult test inside japan people study sometimes for years um, having multiple attempts just at trying to pass just to trying to pass the entrance exam let alone the rest of the university course and the robot was designed by this university to take the test and try and see if it could sneak into the university and logically this seems like something a robot would be perfect at. The ability to answer lots and lots of questions really quickly, 100% accurately. But the results, especially for the last four years, have not been particularly promising. For the four years that this robot has sat the Tokyo U entrance exam, it has failed miserably. Now, I'm not talking about, Jog only getting 75 when the entrance mark was 80. No, no, no. It's getting less than the passing grade of 50% not the passing grade into the university, the passing grade just for any, you know, general test. This robot has actually been found to really, really struggle with comprehension and problem-solving. When asked a simple, straightforward fact where it can trawl its information database, its books, its knowledge, its big understanding of history, for example, it does pretty well. It scores okay in these history-type questions and it gets about a 60% pass rate. When you ask it, if, Uh, a more challenging question that involves some comprehension and then application of different methods together, the robot really, really, very quickly falls down. Even in something that you think would be so heavily maths-dominated that a robot could smash it and do very, very well, like physics, the robot struggles. It's one of the better-performing subjects, to be sure, but it's only managing about 59%, which is still nowhere near the entrance exam mark at 80%. And the reason is that this robot actually really struggles the broader meaning of a question. And when you don't understand the broader meaning of the words on the paper and have the ability to tie it in to the rest of other areas of knowledge that you may have and undertake problem-solving skills, then you really struggle. And that's one of the big challenges with artificial intelligence and robotics in general. There's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of crazy and creative connections that our brain makes in order to solve problems it's not just a matter of saying a equals a and writing it down on the piece of paper because you know the right answer examinations and by proxy life is a lot more complex than that is averaging so far it has been improving uh the first year in 2013 it ran it scored 45 percent then it scored 47 and this year it scored 57 overall which is which is pretty good um Now, the standard score this year was actually lower than 57, so it had been improving for a while, but now it's gotten worse. But keep in mind, this pass mark is 80%. Now, it's a bit of a little funny question and a good way to test the intelligence of an artificial intelligence. But the problem is that when you look at a problem like this, the test should be the easiest thing for a robot to pass. A real-life situation, where it's not really clearly and narrowly defined like a question is on a test paper should be one of the more easier challenges. Which just goes to show we have a long way to go before artificial intelligence is able to really be truly surpassing humanity. And even then, there are some areas where artificial intelligence and automation simply can't do because the creativity and the problem-solving skills of humanity are a much more efficient computer than what even a computer can manage. So next time you read a story about how automation is going to doom all of humanity remember that you can outsmart a robot on a test it is possible because you possess the ability and one of the best biological machines ever made the human brain we have only got one shot to make it count. And despite years of hard work, planning, preparation, it all comes down to one pivotal final moment where all that effort, all that engineering, all that money and time has to yield results. If it does, success, glory, honour. If it doesn't, lots and lots of heartache, pain, sadness and frustration. I am, of course, talking about space travel, which, unlike professional sports, you only ever really get one ever shot per probe, effectively. If you stuff it up, if it breaks, it's very difficult to get out there and fix it. And that is a big problem. We've seen spacecraft, like some of the asteroid and solar monitoring probes from Japan, Hayabusa for example, that had issues which were recovered through miraculous and clever workarounds by engineers remotely, managing to compensate for things that broke remotely from Earth. But when it comes to landing on another planet, you definitely 100% only get one try, because if you get it wrong, things go splat. That is exactly what happened to a Martian probe last month that left Earth over 18 months ago, launched by the European Space Agency. It was called Schiparelli, and it was on a test run for a future rover mission. Wisely, the European Space Agency had decided that before they launched a very, very, very expensive, complicated big rover, they'd launch a relatively cheap one that would still do valuable science, but enable them to test all their landing mechanisms first, to try and help give them some experience before, you know, the, the, the big splat, or to avoid the big splat. But unfortunately, their computer on board this probe, Shepereli, was meant to just gently glide down to the surface. Instead, it went at 540 kilometres per hour straight into the surface of Mars, causing, well, a rather spectacular crash. Now, why did this happen? And scientists have been digging through this data for a long time to try and figure out what on earth went wrong. All the systems were programmed fine. They'd all been tested and retested and tested again. And all parts of that program seemed to make sense. But what they noticed is that the computer on board had made a terrible, terrible miscalculation. It started the programs. It was running correctly, except that it thought it was at a very, very different height to what it was In fact, it got prematurely excited about this whole situation. A a sensor, a key critical altitude sensor, basically maxed out far too soon for a number of different reasons. But the problem was that this altitude sensor maxed out, and the space probe went, oh, 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 I'm very, very close to the ground. And so it deployed its braking system, its braking thrusters. It launched its parachute and it did this because it thought its altitude was in the negative. As in, it had already gone through Mars. And so it freaked out uh, and launched after that. The parachute, the back shell, that launched off the heat shield, fired the braking thrusters, did everything. You know, it thought it needed to do to make the emergency landing happen. But the actual robot itself was 3.7 kilometres above the surface of Mars. Nowhere near that emergency danger zone crash time that it thought it was in. And this goes to show that all the information, all the programming, all the fantastic algorithms and super smart startup technology that you have, if you take garbage in, you will get garbage out because that is what happened on this space program's launch. They censored that it was reading malfunction for whatever reason. And that. In turn, that simple mistake there, on one reading value, propagated through the entire process. And all that intelligence, 230 million euros of complicated electronics, programming, hours of engineering and research to get to this point, were, in the end, for naught. Those parachutes, that protective heat shell, nine thrusters that were meant to gently cushion the lander to the surface, all did their job. Just at the wrong time and in the wrong place. And all that meant was, at the end of the day, this robot became a crater on Mars. Now, there is still useful science that this mission can do. There's still an orbiter in orbit around Mars that can do some useful research. And the ESA team, the European Space Agency, have learnt a lot about landing mechanisms through this unfortunate mistake. And it's not the first time that something like this has happened. Other probes have been lost before, for example, the space probe that launched far, far beyond its target, because someone forgot to tell half of the scientific research team that they're working in Imperial units, not SI metric. So sometimes, simple mistakes can cost us, not only for human error, but also for robotic error. exactly do we make robots better well they're really really good at defined and repeatable tasks in this similar and same environment with the same objects that they see every day like say a factory or an automation line yep granted there are still a lot of challenges in that space and trust me i know but there's a still a certain reliability and standardization that is present in that really tightly defined environment unfortunately that's an almost artificial environment, not one that exists in the real world. And collaborative robotics, which is a really big trend for robots that can work together with humans, is an area of very, very active research. But the problem is, scientists don't really have the tools to measure and teach their robots about standard, everyday human life. And that's tough, because when you put a robot in a human setting, they can really quite quickly fall apart when they encounter something out of the ordinary, something they don't know how to deal with or haven't seen before, or maybe they misrecognise or don't know how to handle smoothly. And researchers from the combined group of Yale, CMU, Berkeley have developed what they call the YCB Object and Model Set. And it's effectively a standardised kit of 77 objects that you can buy and use to teach your robots and undertake research with a standard measure. It includes everything from pots, pans, cups, knives and forks, even a model plane that has to be assembled with a little baby drill. And all of these things form part of, effectively, a standardized measuring system for assessing how good your robot is in dealing with everyday objects. So, the challenge is... When you try to assess whether or not a robot's good or bad, how do you know if your lab situation is the same as somebody else's lab? And that's where this kit comes in. It gives you, effectively, a universal measuring system. Much in the same way as we have the Système d'Internationale, SI Units, um, which was formalized in the 1940s but dates back all the way to the 1700s, as a universal system of measurement for all the fundamental units in our world which enables scientists to to undertake measurements on, say, gravity, cars, uh, biology, electricity, you name it, and have a same language that they can talk and share their results and replicate their results with. The same sort of base analysis kit is what they've created here with this universal model set. It gives them the ability to make sure that they can test different robot manipulators, programs, robotic arms, overall systems, you name it, object recognition they can try it with the same set of tools and compare results clearly and consistently. Now this isn't the be-all and end-all for robotics because once you have this measuring system you still need to actually implement it and the real world is never going to be like this universal box of 77 standardized objects but it's a starting point and enables researchers to share results more efficiently and understand how to improve more quickly. So robotics has a long way to go, but standardisation will definitely help us get there faster. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Making a standardised kit to assess robots, plus robots not being particularly good at university exams. And we found out why exactly one robot on the way to Mars had a bit of a miscalculation. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.